Fantastic. How are you all? Are we good? Are we good? Brilliant. My name's Dave. For those of you who don't know me, my son's just come up and picked the perfect opportunity to ask if he can have a play date with his friend after church. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's great. Uh, welcome along to Hills Baptist. Uh, if you are a guest here, we do welcome you. Uh, we'd love to connect with you after over a coffee. If you've got children aged between zero and two, we have a parents' room upstairs. So if you want to take them up there, you can take them up there. We've got toys and things and a chance where they can cry and you can just come out and listen without feeling like you have to sit down here. So uh, feel free to do that if you want to do that. Hey, we're uh, in the middle of a vision series. We're looking at a series about getting on board, about the vision of what God has placed upon the heart of this church, Hills Baptist Church. We talked about the fact that we have a vision to see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed. We talked about the fact that we have a mission to go and make disciples. We looked at what a disciple is, the fact that a disciple uh, is basically just a fancy word for saying an apprentice, a follower, uh, a learner, someone who is abiding in Christ. Not someone who's religious, who attends church and ticks their religious uh, you know, boxes every now and then, but someone who is genuinely pursuing and desiring relationship with God. And so today we're coming to a topic where we're looking at, well, why make disciples? If, if God is calling us to make disciples, if, if we are, uh, have this heart to make disciples as a church, why do we want to make disciples? Um, I was thinking about this this week, I was reminded of uh, years and years ago, because that's what it is now, when I did my first degree, I was at Flinders University studying medical science, and I uh, met all sorts of eclectic people. And um, one of my good friends, a guy called Dan, uh, he and I got into a conversation one day. I was talking about my auntie and uncle. My auntie and uncle, they were missionaries in Thailand for 22 years. Uh, they're an amazing family who've done amazing things. And somehow we got onto the fact that they were missionaries. And Dan uh, was an atheist uh, who I found out in that moment really didn't like missionaries. And he sort of turned to me as I was talking about, oh, you know, they're over there, they're doing great stuff, making an impact. He just goes, that is horrendous. He's like, how dare they? How dare they go to another culture and try and impress their worldview and their idea and their way of believing things and their lifestyle? How dare they try and impress that upon another person? That is an horrific thing to do. And at that moment, I was only 18, and so I sort of haven't quite, you know, I sort of became a Christian around 16, 17. I hadn't quite formulated my answer to that, but praise God, because another friend of mine who actually wasn't a Christian, he just leaned in at the exact moment when I was a bit sort of gobsmacked, and he goes, isn't that exactly what you're doing right now, champion? <laughs> and Dan was like, what? And he goes, well, you think missionaries are bad. Dave clearly thinks missionaries are a good thing, so you've got opposing worldviews, and what you're trying to do is impress your worldview upon his worldview, and which by the very, uh, you know, the, the, the premise of your argument contradicts yourself. And he sort of just gave him this little nudge and goes, you're welcome. And so our conversation ended, but that was actually a very important day for me because a day where I thought, well, if people are going to start questioning things and I'm standing here saying I believe certain things about the faith, then I should get my ducks in a row and I should actually try and figure out why I believe what I believe, yeah? 
I actually need to go and do some research. I think you need to go and do some learning so that when someone has a question of why on earth would you want to make disciples, that I actually have an answer to that question. And sort of how many years on it is now, I don't want to say, <laughs> potentially pushing 20, <laughs> I think I now have a bit more of an idea about why. And so if you've got your Bibles today, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 28. Why make disciples? Is discipleship making about trying to impose our will or worldview upon another person? Is it about us standing here in our religious piety saying, we have all the answers, we know better than you, therefore do whatever we are doing? Is it just about trying to shift their culture and make them more like us or is there's something more significant. Does it run deeper? Matthew 28. Let's go to verse 16. It's titled The Great Commission. If you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard it. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority, everyone say authority, in heaven and earth has been given to me. To who? To Jesus. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you, to the very end of the age. That is an amazing passage of Scripture. And I love the fact that before Jesus sends his command and says, go, before he calls us to a place of obedience, he actually takes a moment to talk about who he is, to remind them of his nature, to remind them of all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And I want to suggest to us this morning that this idea, this call, the reason why we make disciples, the reason why we we long uh, to grow in discipleship, to become more like Christ, to enter that journey of following and desire to bring others with us is because Jesus, the one who calls, has all authority. All authority on heaven and earth. Some of you might find this hard to believe that, but our household can sometimes get a fraction rowdy. We have three young children, aged eight, seven, and almost six, which means at one point in time, we had three children under the age of three, and Joe went to work, and I decided I'm going to help plant a church and go study and work part-time and be a stay-at-home dad. Things sometimes got a little rowdy, and one of the things that... uh, Particularly in our house, I don't know about your household, but one of those things, one of the examples where stuff can get a little rowdy and sometimes we can get into some conversations, I'm going to call them, or disagreements as they might be, uh, is around the dinner table. Anyone with me around the dinner table? Particularly around the area of vegetable (laughs) consumption. And so we would have occasions where we'd be sitting around a table uh, with a plate of what was maybe sausages and mashed potato carrots and peas and what would happen would be that there would be at the end of that dinner a plate that is now just peas 
And so I would be saying, eat your peas. And the question that would regularly come up after the initial no, and we sort of talked a little bit, and the question would then would come up would be, why? Why do I have to eat my peas? Why do I have to eat these now lukewarm peas? They don't taste as nice as the what was hot mashed potato. They're definitely not as good as the sausages and gravy. And the carrots, well, everyone loves a carrot because they're kind of sweet and juicy. But why do I have to eat my peas? And so we would go back and forth. And the amount of times where I would find myself trying to explain to a, what is now even a five-year-old still having this conversation, you know, the macro and the micronutrients of food and why uh, you need both. And there's, there's these macronutrients, but actually you need micronutrients for cellular repair and so to maintain your body's health. And I'd be running through this and I'd get to this point where I realized this kid cannot even pronounce micronutrients, let alone understand it. And so I would just end up saying, because I said so. Because I said so. Because guess what? I have the authority to make you do it. And so often that's exactly how they interpret it. So often he interprets as sit down, shut up, and eat your bloomin' peas. But for anyone who's a parent in this place or anyone who looks after kids or anyone who has a heart for for people that you're trying to care for, you know that when you get to that because I said so, it actually doesn't mean just sit down, shut up and do what I say. Actually, that because I said so is a loaded statement that says, I've actually been given authority over you for a particular reason. I actually love you. I actually care about you more than you care about your own self. And guess what? I've been through life a little bit, and I know what's good for you. I know that eating your peas is important for a whole host of reasons, right? Emotional reasons, learning to deal with authority reasons, but also just nutritional reasons. These things are important. You're actually speaking something of your character and nature as someone in authority over them. But they do not have the mental capacity. They don't have the logical reasoning skills to work that out. So we end up just saying, just go and do it. But actually, underneath all of that is a far greater, far deeper heart that we understand, we know, even when you don't, that this is important and good for you to obey. So eat your peace. And the same is true with God. So often I think we, we understand that principle as people who have authority over others. We have this Depth of understanding that we are for them. And because we're for them and not against them, there's things they should do even when they don't understand it because it's good for them. So please trust me because I'm trustworthy in this area, yeah? Trust me. That's what we're saying. Just trust me. But when it comes to God, so often we don't see that. We forget the fact that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. We forget the fact that he actually loves us more than we love ourselves. Guess what? He loves the person next door to you. He loves the person down the road from you. He loves your version of Dan more than you. He loves humanity so much so that he sent his son and died on a cross for their deliverance that they might know life and life to the full. And the reason he did it is because his heart for humanity. And so he says, you know what? Go and make disciples. Even if you don't understand in this moment, 
It's good for them and it's good for you because I care. And I am trustworthy. And if you do this, you will, you will realize one day, down the road, looking back, you will go, yes, actually, now I understand. And I think a big part of the why for us and why we're called to make disciples, why do we go after these things, is because we need to firstly appreciate, above all things, that God has authority over everything. And so when he commands us to move, it is for our good and for the good of humanity, for the good of creation. So this morning what I want to do is I just want to bring up just a couple of things that I see concerning God's authority, and then we can go and have some morning tea. Why make disciples? What is it about God's authority? What has he done? The first thing that I want us to, to capture here is that it's in God, that the authority that God has is actually to bring us from darkness into light. To bring humanity from darkness to light. The reason we make disciples is because the one who calls us to make disciples has the authority to bring us from darkness to light. Can I take you to Bible college for just two minutes here? Are you with me? Is that all right? Can you open your Bible? Go back to Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to be this. I've sat in this passage for so long over the last couple of weeks. And I've been just running over this thinking, God, how do I take six months of lectures and put them into 10 minutes? In Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, what we see is an introduction. Those of you who were here a couple of months ago when we studied the book of Matthew, remember we talked about the significance of an introduction, that an introduction actually hits uh, the key themes, it outlines the plot, it introduces the key characters and it says, hey, this is what this story is all about. And the rest of the story, the rest of the narrative speaks back to what we've already seen. I want us to understand that Genesis 1, 2 and 3 in many ways is kind of the introduction of the 66 books of the Bible. So Genesis 1, 2, and 3, it sets the scene for everything that is to come, all the way to Revelation, right? And in Genesis 1, we see God creates. In Genesis 2, we see this story of Adam and Eve and God's blessing them. And in Genesis 3, we see the story of the fall. But I want to pick up something from Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, which says this, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Do you know, this week, something really stood out to me as I read this, because when you go through day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, and day six of creation, at the end of that, it says there was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening, there was morning the second day, and it does that all the way up. But when you get to the seventh day, it doesn't say that. It just says on the seventh day he rested. And that word rested is a Hebrew word, Shabbat. Everyone say Shabbat. And it doesn't mean, like we, when I picture resting, I picture hammock, I picture feet up, I picture drink in hand, I picture sunnies on, just doing nothing. That's not what that word means. That word rested means to... Uh, 
to settle in, to abide, to, to, have, to be at peace, to have peace with the things around. It doesn't mean that we don't do anything. Adam was fairly busy. He had a lot to do in terms of naming all the animals, in terms of just looking after creation. He was fairly busy, but he was at rest. He was at Shabbat. And what the Bible's doing here, are you with me? What the Bible's doing is it's creating a picture of God's plan for his creation. That he would create for the purpose that humanity would live in Shabbat with him. That we would live in rest. That we would live free from striving after meaning, after purpose, after everything that the world chases after in order to belong. That we would live at peace with God in his creation. Harmony. And so he created it on that seventh day before sin entered the world. Adam Eve, they were living in Shabbat with God. Total peace, beauty, light, perfection. That's where they lived. And it was destined, it was designed to be eternal. There was no evening, there was no morning. It was ongoing. But then what happened? Genesis 3 comes, we choose our own self, we choose pride over God instead of desiring the rest with God. We're like, no, I want to be like God, I want to be greater than God. And so in doing that, we sever that Shabbat. We sever that rest. We sever that at peace, at, at uh, complete one. That um, I don't want to use the word oneness because that's got all sorts of connotations. This delighting in who God is and He delighting in us for all of eternity. And so what we then have is we enter history, human history, Genesis four, right through. And we see this picture, this continual picture of God's people striving in their own strength and God putting seeds all throughout, like the Sabbath, like the year of Jubilee, back and forth about this motif of rest, that one day he would come to bring rest. One day he would come to restore the seventh day. And if you've been in church for a long time, you know that that's the promise at the end of days that Jesus is going to come back and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And what it's talking about is that we will live in that motif, that seventh day motif. We will live in Shabbat, rest, perfection, where there is no more tears, where there is no more shame, where there is no more guilt, where there is no more brokenness. We will live in the unity and the harmony with God that we were created for in the garden. And so the scripture is speaking to this, right? And if you read your Bible, what you will see in the book of Ephesians, you'll see in the book of Colossians, you'll see in the book of Romans, in fact, all through Paul's letters, all through the New Testament, what the way that the authors describe this period of time awaiting the Savior is they call it this present darkness. That humanity is living apart from God and God is light, so humanity is living in darkness. And the problem we have in the West is that we don't realize we're living in darkness. In other cultures, it's very, very easy to see wow, things are not right with the world. But for us, we've got our iMacs, our iPhones, our iPads. We got nice cars, we go to nice schools, 
We've got nice jobs, nice houses. We've got manicured gardens. We can just walk down to the shopping center and we can pick up whatever the heck we want. Life's good. We've got comfort. Everything's fine with the world, yeah? And so we see, amen, Bailey. (laughs) So we see this... We see this whole world that thinks it's in light, but actually the promise of God is that it's not, that it is in darkness, that it's the eyes are, uh, the God of this age has blinded the eyes of unbelievers, that there is this thought, this eternal longing, Ecclesiastes says that God has set eternity in the hearts of humanity. There is this longing for that Shabbat, that seventh day rest with God, and we're filling it with everything else. Just look around us. Look at our world. Despite all of our wealth, all of our comfort, everything that we have, suicide is higher than it has ever been. Anxiety is absolutely skyrocketing. Depression is skyrocketing. Broken families is skyrocketing. The world is broken and busted. It is in darkness. And we need to recognize this. Because if all we do, if all we think is that we are just in this beautiful, lovey, la-di-da, everything's perfect world, then we're missing the whole call of the gospel. And we will see no need to make disciples. But if you catch it, if you look at the world and your heart breaks for the teenager who continues to post just a little bit more flesh every single day, so that another teenage boy might press a thumbs up, so that all of a sudden she feels accepted and she feels like she belongs, but then the next day that feeling is gone, and so she does it again. Or the, the boy who's chasing after success in sport, and so it's, his whole world is all about, can I kick an air conveyance leather ball through two sticks and if I do that wow I'm awesome but then you see even if they scale the highest heights what happens so often they get to the end of that and all of that meaning and purpose is gone because they do not have Shabbat what they were created for was Shabbat rest with God is somebody with me here this is what we're created for the world is living in darkness and so when Jesus says Go and make disciples. Guess what he's saying? I have the authority to bring people from darkness into light. And I want to use you as a conduit of my grace to shine my light in your heart into the dark world. Somebody should be saying amen. I want to use you. I'm inviting you into this glorious, magnificent plan which I outline in Genesis 1, 2 and 3 and which I reveal in Revelation 7, etc. to 22. He's revealing the finish line. He's showing us the introduction, all the middle saying, now I'm coming to redeem you. And there's this beautiful hint in chapter 3 of Genesis Genesis 3.15, Luke probably doesn't have that up there, but if you can do it super quick, put it up there. Genesis 3.15, when he's talking about the curse, when darkness is descending on humanity. Come on, Luke. He says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. 
there's just this little insight. There's a hint. I'm going to bring rest again. I'm going to bring rest again. I'm going to bring it through my son, through sacrifice. I'm going to bring it by sending my son and he's going to go to a cross. And he's going to bleed for you and he's going to suffer for you. He's going to take on the sin and the darkness of this present age. And he's going to bear that darkness so that humanity might begin to live in great light. By walking, by following, by entering relationship again with God through Christ. If I had time, I would read all of Romans to you. All of Romans to you. But how about we just go with chapter 8 for a while. Let's go to Romans 8. Romans 8. Let's just go from verse 31. Paul writing says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, in response to all the darkness of the world, in response to what God has done in Christ, sending Jesus to redeem the world from darkness to light, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is the only one with the authority to take humanity from darkness to light. So go and make disciples. Why make disciples? Because Jesus wants to bring people from darkness to light. You know, the Salvation Army movement was birthed out of a vision that William Booth had. And in that vision, it's a powerful thing. You should read it. But basically, he saw people swimming in darkness, swimming in this sea of complete darkness. And there was someone standing on a rock ledge, pulling them out one by one. And as they came, all these people were drowning. And as he pulled them out, they were standing on the rock ledge. And he says, in that vision, some stayed to help pull others out. Some jumped into the water to do whatever they could to bring others to safety. And he said, most, when they stood here, turned around and just forgot about the fact that they were once in darkness. May we never be a church that becomes a social club. May we never be a church that becomes a religious organization where we have our religious songs and we do our religious stuff and we read our Bible, but nothing ever goes from there to here to transform our lives. 
may we always recognize that we were lost, we were blind, and now we see. We were in darkness, and we've been brought into the kingdom of eternal light, the glorious son that he loves. And he now says, because of all of this, go and make disciples, not in your own strength. You're just a jar of clay. That's all you are. But I've put in you this marvelous, magnificent treasure of the gospel. And this takes me to my second point, and the band can come up and we'll close in a minute. But the second point is this, because he calls us, because we get to participate in the making of disciples, guess what? All the glory goes to him. God is in the business of glorifying his son. He is not in the business of glorifying people. When so, like, Think about it for a second. When I'm a wretch, which I am, as are you, if you didn't know that, welcome to Hills Baptist. You're a wretch. You were born into darkness and you belong in darkness. But by the grace of God, he came for us and set us free. Now, I cannot stand there and claim any glory for my own. How can I? How can I stand in front of anyone and be like, whoa, look at me. Look at what I've done. No, you'll just be like, you're a fool. No, all I can do is boast in Jesus Christ. Even Paul, one of the greatest people who ever walked this planet, he says, I could talk about this and I could talk about that and I could talk about all the amazing things that God's done in my life and the things I've done. He goes, but I will not boast. All I will boast in is in the cross of Christ. That's who I'm boasting in. God is in the business of glorifying His Son. Let's go to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. If I can find it. Colossians 3, 15 and 16. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And whatever we do, glory does not go to us. Glory goes to Him. Glory goes to Him. He's in the business of glorifying His Son. And so as we as a church, and we look at this, why make disciples? Why participate in the glorious mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why invest in that person there? Why, when I'm struggling in my own faith, would I ever think that I could possibly step out and read the Bible with someone else? Why, when I don't even know how I'm going myself, why would I, why would I want to disciple someone? I'm a wretch. I can't do that. And that's exactly the point. Because if we had it all together and we're investing in someone's life, they might be able to say, oh man, you're awesome. Thanks heaps. 
But because we're a wretch, because we don't have it all together and we just obey, we just eat our peas, we just get on with it, we get on with the mission. Because we do that, the glory does not go to us. The glory goes to the Son who through us is, in, is changing somebody else's life. And this is what we're called to. And if you go back to that Matthew passage in uh, chapter 28, in, the ver- in verse 16 there, I saw something this week that I had actually not ever seen before, which really just resonated with my heart because it says this in verse 16, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Sorry, verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some doubted. They doubted that this Jesus standing in front of him He had been crucified. They had seen him buried in a tomb for three days. They had seen him come out of the tomb. They had seen him literally just walk through a wall, not because he was a ghost, but because in his resurrected form, it was as if the wall was a ghost to him. He just walked straight through it and he starts preaching to them. He starts encouraging them. He eats with them. Jesus does this and it says that as he gets to that point of his ascension, it says some doubted. Guess what? You and I are going to doubt. We are going to struggle. There are going to be days where we don't want to make disciples. There are going to be days where, heck, we don't even want to be a disciple. There are going to be days we wake up and say, I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. I don't want to worship. I don't want to praise. I don't want to do any of these things. And I certainly don't want to help someone else in there. But remember in that moment that Jesus to the people, His disciples, even though they doubted, He said, hey, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And because of that, I've got you. Because of that, go and make disciples. And as you go, you'll grow. Or someone should write that down. As you go, you'll grow. As you're going, as you're ministering, as you're discipling, as you're helping others, as you're just going about your daily routine, as you're disciplining yourself to the devotion of prayer and reading of the Word and fellowship in in the church, as you start to do these things, even when you don't feel like it, even in the midst of doubt and struggle and strife, when the darkness is descending over the mountains and the valleys of your life, in the midst of that place, as we go, God says, I've got you because I have all authority in heaven and earth. So go. I've got you. And because of who you are, I'll bring glory to myself. And this is why as a church, we say that our vision is to see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed to the world. That's why we make disciples. To see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed. You can stand where you are. So as we close today, I'd love to pray with you. And a part of that prayer for this church and our heart for this church is that 
those who have been living in darkness would see a great light and that you would know that Jesus is the light of the world and that you would know that you can walk in that light. It doesn't mean you won't have struggles. It doesn't mean you won't have doubts, but it means that you are held in the arms of the Saviour who has chosen you. And so what we're going to do, as we have been doing, is just give people an opportunity to respond to that word. So with every eye closed, if you're in this place and you're like, yeah, I want to walk in light. I'm sick of walking in darkness and I actually want to trust in the one who has the authority to bring me from darkness into light. I want to trust my life, not in money, not in fame, not in success, not in how many followers I have on Instagram, but I want to trust my life in the following of the one with authority to redeem. And if that's you in this place, I'm just going to invite you to pop your hand up where you are and we'd love to pray with you. Say, yeah, I want to trust Jesus with my life. Praise God. Awesome. Let's pray together. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the light of the world. We thank you that you have brought us from darkness into light. We thank you that you have all authority and that even when we doubt, even when we struggle, even when we don't know why, and we may sit at that dinner table and say, why would I do this? We thank you that you know best. You know best. And when you tell us to eat our spiritual peas, it's not because you just love exerting authority over people. It's because you are in the business of bringing people from darkness to light. You see the beginning from the end. So we're going to entrust our lives to you. And for everyone here who says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, let that be me. Together with one voice, we're going to say amen. Ready? One, two, three. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.